Okay? Uh, today, in part two, we're going to talk about being a future farmer. Everybody say future. There's something that I've discovered that very wise and successful people um, live by. I don't even know if they know they live by it, but I found this common denominator in all the very successful and wise people I know, and that is that they, that they live by this mentality that the future always comes. People that have savings accounts, that, that plan for retirement, in their mind they realize the future always comes. People that forgive quick, people that let things go, people that love to um, build bridges rather than burn bridges, they have this mentality, the future always comes. People that work hard, <clears throat> kids that study for tests, and they study and they study, they realize something, the future always comes. Even if you were to leave this earth today, listen real close, the future always comes comes it's going to come for all of us whether you live on earth till you're 90 or you live on earth till you're nine years old the future always comes there's a fable one of aesop's fables i don't know if y'all remember that when you were a kid but one of them was the grasshopper and the ant and so i'm going to improvise a little bit of it but it's basically the grasshopper spent his summer bouncing around and hopping around and whistling and having fun and he'd call the ant up say ant you want to hang out and the ant would say i can't man i'm working and the grasshopper thought, man, you're a loser. And he'd go hopping around and bouncing around in, 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 in Myrtle Beach, going from one place to the next, out on the beach. And then he'd call the ant up, hey, you want to hang out today? And the ant said, I can't, I'm working. And this went on so many weeks until winter came. When winter came, there wasn't much to do. And the grasshopper looked in his cupboards and looked all through his kitchen. He couldn't find any food anywhere. He called the ant up. He said, listen, I'm starving. Do you have any food? The ant said, I'm sorry. I spent all summer working and saving up for winter for me and my family. We don't have enough for you. Here's what the ant realized. The future always comes. And we have to be seed-minded so that we won't start complaining and think, why am I in this mess? Why is this happening to me? Because the future always comes. Now, last week we learned something, and, and, and I think that one of my, um, I think one of the, few little things that God's gifted me with is to be able to take very deep, deep things and make it incredibly simple. So this may sound really simple, but in actuality, it's really deep. The seed always comes before the harvest. It always comes before the harvest. You have to, um, whenever we're thinking, man, I need this and I need that, we have to realize that God's already given us the seed to produce the harvest. I was thinking the other day, I love oranges. Orange is actually my favorite fruit. And I was thinking something that, it blew my mind. I mean, I'm, I know you already know this because y'all are much smarter than I am. But when I had this thought, it literally, it almost floored me. I, I, I literally, I sat there in silence for 30 minutes and just pondered this. You see this orange right here? Do you know that God did not create this orange? Stay with me now. God created things and God made things. God made this orange, but he didn't create this orange. In fact, the tree that this orange came from, God did not create that tree. He made it, he didn't create it. Do you know where this orange was created from? This orange was created in the Garden of Eden. And since that day, that one particular day where he created the fruit and vegetation, God has not created a single orange since that day. 
He has not come down from heaven and got off his throne and said, oh man, there needs to be an orange tree here. And he plants an orange tree and makes the thing grow. God's not done that. God has not created one apple since the Garden of Eden. He has not created one banana, one fig. Do you know that if we were to trace this orange back, we would trace this orange to a seed from an orange to a seed from an orange, to a seed from an orange, to a seed from an orange, times a million, if not more, and we would go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Does that not blow your mind? I mean, just think about it for a minute. All this time, I need an orange, I need an orange. Well, guess what? God gave you the seed for it 6,000-something years ago. All you got to do is release it and plant it. Yeah, yeah, okay, let me, um, I, I, wanna make, I really want to eat this so bad now that I'm holding it because I, I love oranges. I need to put it down. But anyway, let me, let me go a little bit further just to, just to help you out, okay? God has not created a single person that's Adam and Eve. He's made people, but he hasn't created them. In fact, God didn't even create Eve, to be honest with you. He made Eve from Adam's rib. But anyway, after those two, God did not create a single person. You know what he did? He gave Adam a seed. And the seed and Eve made a baby. And then the seed and the seed and the seed and the seed. In other words, if I were to trace back every one of you, red, yellow, black, and white, every one of us, we'd go back to this person and this person and this person and this one, and then finally we'd go back to God 6,000-something years ago. Isn't that amazing? I, 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 I don't know if y'all are really excited like I am about it. Anyway, so let me let me let me tell you. Um, my I have five children, and and if you were to line them up up here, none of them would look exactly like me, but you would see features in all of them that resemble me. Um, none of my children have black skin. None of my children have blue eyes. Uh, it's because their mom and their dad doesn't have black skin or doesn't have blue eyes. Their mom is part Japanese, so you'll see some Japanese features in their eyes. You'll see a little bit of green tone in their skin. But when you line up my kids, and if I were to put my face next to each one of them, you say, oh, that's his son. And then I go, oh, that's his son. That's his son. That's his daughter. You'd see a little bit. Of, you know why? Because <clears throat> the harvest always resembles the seed. The harvest that is sown always resembles the seed sower. And when you look at your children, you say, oh man, that's, that's my child, is obvious. Okay, when you look at your life and what you've produced in your life, you can't blame your spouse, you can't blame your parents, you can't blame the economy, and you can't blame the president. You have to go back to what seeds have you been sowing in your life to have this harvest <clears throat> that is before you. And we spend a lot of time hoping and believing and hoping and believing. I really want an orange God. I've been praying for an orange God. I've been believing for an orange. When are you going to come down from heaven and give me an orange? In other words, when am I going to have this miracle, this promise, this dream, this job, this thing, da 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 And God's saying, hey, I've already given you the seed. In fact, Jesus Christ is a seed. In fact, the Bible's a seed. The Bible's the incorruptible seed. He's given us so many seeds, it is, it is, it'll blow your mind if you sat down and thought about 
all the seeds God's given you, the seeds. If you look in your bank account, you got seeds there. You look at your time during the week, you got seeds there. You look at your creativity, there's seeds there. You look at your, uh, you look at your words, there's seeds there. You look at your thoughts, there's seeds there. You look at the way you treat people, there's seeds there. You look at the way you, you give mercy or forgiveness, there's seeds in all of that. And imagine, man, I don't have it, I left it in my office, but I had a little bag of seeds. Imagine having all these seeds in your hand that God has given you, and you got, and you're thinking, oh, I don't know what I want to do with it. And God's saying, release it. Oh, I don't know if I want to release it. What am I gonna do? Yeah, I might, I might starve to death. I might not make it. Oh, I just gotta hold on. And God's saying, what do you think those seeds are gonna do in your hand? What do you think they're gonna do? You think they're gonna magically produce in your hand? You gotta sow it. It takes faith. And when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't. If it popped up in one second, we'd all do it. There's no faith there. It's faith in trusting the creator of the universe who created this law of sowing and reaping since, since he created the world, since he formed the world. I'm sorry, in Genesis 3, verse 1, 3 on, after verses 1 and 2, he began to form the world. And that day, he created seed time and harvest. And how ignorant are we when we get to heaven and we see that all this fear or anxiety or lack of peace or all this whatever we can think of kept seeds in our pockets the whole time. I don't want to release it. What's going to happen? I'm going to lose. I'm going to miss out. In Genesis 12, 2, here's how it started with the, faith, with, the, with the father of our faith. God said, I'm going to bless you with an abundant increase, and then you're going to be a blessing dispensing others, good to other people. This is God's economy. Let me say it like this. Every morning you wake up, you get to choose whose economy you're going to live in, God's economy or the world's economy. And you choose it every day. Don't tell me you've chosen today for the rest of your life because that's a lie. We all have selfishness inside of us. Galatians 6, 8 that was up there earlier said, if you plant selfishness, you get weeds. Not the good weed, the bad weed. It's all bad. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so listen. So here's, here's, the, here's what I want you to, this is what it, the, the metaphor that's all through the Bible is this. God says in his economy, people that want to be part of his system, they carry around a pitcher everywhere they go. And they go and they say, who can I pour into? Who can I pour into? Whose marriage can I pour into? Whose, whose children can I pour into? Whose finances can I pour into? What ministry can I pour into? Where's there a need? I need to find a need somewhere so that I can meet that need with what God's given me so God will meet my needs. And we carry on this picture everywhere we go. I was at a restaurant the other day, and I promise you, as God is my witness, every time I drank a sip of sweet tea, the waitress ran up behind me and poured something in there. I mean, I couldn't drink that much, and she was a great waitress. Just kept pouring... It's funny, no matter how much she poured, her pitcher stayed full. I assume there was somebody in the back who kept filling up her pitcher. She, she could just go around and pour into people's lives, okay? A lot of Christians wonder why they're not being blessed, and it's because they're walking around with a glass. Who's going to meet my need? Who's, it's not my fault. I'm the victim in this. Somebody give me, somebody help me. I need my mom, I need my dad, I need this friend here, I gotta have this. Where's the church? Why isn't the church meeting my needs? Why isn't the church helping me? Oh, come on, somebody pour into me. And they spend their whole life with no overflow. Their whole life is always barely enough or just enough. And they wonder why, it's because they wake up with the glass in their hand. But I'm telling you, if you want God to bring you a harvest, you gotta wake up and grab the pitcher and start serving other people. Isaiah 58, 7 says, Whenever you clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, then your light will break forth. Then your healing, I love this word, will quickly come. Quickly come, and your relationship with God conduct you to prosperity. Here's what this is saying. God cares more about people than anything else in the universe. 
That's what that scripture is saying. God can more people than anything else. I was reading how um, years ago, uh, the way that these people from America would go to South America and Africa to get monkeys for the zoos back here in the States. This was years ago. They didn't want to be harmful on the animals and use tranquilizers and stuff like that. And so this group of people, they created this plexiglass barrel like you could see through it. And they would fill it up with treats like bananas and stuff that monkeys liked. And they would put holes in the, in the, in the side of it just big enough for the size monkey they wanted to barely fit his hand through the circle. And the monkey would, would smell it and he'd see it and he'd go there and he'd stick his hand through and he'd grab a hold of the banana. And once he grabbed that banana, the men would come out of the bushes and very calmly just walk up to him and capture him. Why would he be such easy prey? Why did he not run away? Here's why. He refused to let go of what was in his hand. He was so focused on what he wanted, what he needed. He could smell that banana. He could taste paying off that car. He could taste his dream coming true. He wanted it so bad, he refused to let go of what was in His fist was clenched so tight, he couldn't pull it back through the hole. And here the enemy's walking up to him, about to capture him, and he refuses to let go of what's in his hand. I'm telling you, there are a lot of believers today, we worship, we pray, we do that good stuff, and then once we leave this place, we refuse to let go of what's in our hand. Our fists are clenched so tight, you can't give away that dress. You might need it in three and a half years when you go on that cruise you've been talking about for ten years. You might be able to fit back into that size two one day. You can't give that thing away. <laughs> Let me tell you how much selfishness is in you. I'll tell you how much is in me. Um, you never know how, how selfish you are until you know you got to give something away. You know, and you just, it, it's like, listen, we have things in our life. We just got to hold on to it. And we're so, so we had the water baptism. I shouldn't even tell you all this. I'm not even going to tell you this. Let me go my next point. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, so. You know, that's the most, to me, that's the most spiritual time of my year. I, I, I'm so moved to be able to baptize people. I just can't hold the tears back. And so we had some people that came. We had a lot baptized. And a lot of them didn't have T-shirts. There's like two or three t people that needed T-shirts. And I live in the house next to the, you know, where the pool's at that we used. So I just ran back to my house. And listen, I have some really nice expensive suits. And I give those things away to pastors and people all the time. I got about 45 t-shirts. It took me 10 minutes to find two that I was willing to part with. And they're from Walmart. They're like $8 t-shirts. I was like, they don't make this one anymore and this one fits me just right and I like the way the neck is and this one, I literally had to pray. This was, this was baptism day and Mike is like, people are waiting on it. People are like, I'm trying to find a t-shirt. You got 50 t-shirts, I got 48 t-shirts and I can't give two of them away. I said, let me go to Walmart and buy them whatever t-shirts they want. <laughs> you, listen, you never know what's in your hands until God says, release it. And then you're like, oh, I might miss out. I might miss out. I read this story as a book years ago. It really touched my heart. It's called No One Makes It Alone. And it's about a man named Andy Valdez. And Andy, when he was eight years old, he would sell newspapers. This is back in the 60s. He'd sell newspapers on, on Main Street for three cents each. And he'd do it every day, seven days a week, and he'd walk home after all day working with a dollar to give his family to help them with food and supplies and stuff. And one day, there was this, there's this big printing shop right across Main Street, 
And the owner was a very rich, very wealthy businessman named Jack Keller. And Jack would walk by Andy every day, but Jack already had his newspaper under his arm. And one day, eight years old, Andy just struck a conversation with the guy. He said, listen, mister, how come you never buy a newspaper from me? And Jack smiled. He said, I don't know, maybe I will one day. Well, the next day, Jack started buying his newspapers from little Andy. After about a year of doing that every day, he invited Andy to come and work for him at the print shop there. And he taught him the ropes and taught him everything. He made sure Andy started going back to school as well. When Andy was 11 years old, Jack would bring him to the country club where he'd hang out. Jack taught him how to play tennis. Andy excelled at tennis. Anytime other kids would come and make fun of Andy's race or his color, Jack would sit him down and he'd instill confidence into him and tell him it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. Uh, Andy did so good at tennis, so good at school, he got a scholarship to go to college after high school. Jack said, what do you want to be when you, you know, what do you want to go to college for? Andy said, I want to be a lawyer. Jack said, why? Andy said, because the lawyers at the country club have nicer clothes than the drug dealers that live on my street. So he went to college. He excelled. Today, his name is not Andy. Today, they call him Judge Andrew Valdez. He's famous all through Utah, New Mexico, and Texas for starting group homes and places where teenagers can come do their homework and learn how to play tennis and other sports. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:25, when you're generous, you'll be prosperous. When you help others, you'll be helped. We don't think like this. When you leave here, the enemy's going to deceive you into grabbing a hold of that glass and saying, if you're generous, you're missing out. If you're generous, you're not going to have enough for your bills. If you help others, you're going to lose time. You're going to lose energy. You could be taking care of your family. On and on it goes. Well, as the years went by, uh, Andy and Jack lost touch with each other. At one point, Judge Valdez felt so strongly about his friend Jack that he tried to research him and find him. He spent six years to no avail. One day, Judge Valdez is in the supermarket buying groceries. He looks way across the aisles and there's an old man about to be arrested. The man's disoriented, doesn't know who he is, where he's at. Their eyes met across the store. It was his friend Jack. He went over to him and Jack had gotten Alzheimer's and then he, he was homeless, he lost everything he had, everything he had, all the money, the house, everything was gone. Now it was Judge Andrew Valdez's time to bless his friend. So he brought his friend into his own home. And for the last four years of Jack's life, Judge Valdez took care of him. He fed him, he made sure he was clean, he made sure he was well taken care of, hired nurses around the clock. After he passed away, at the funeral, Judge Valdez said, the greatest time of my life was walking into the kitchen and seeing Jack holding the newspaper where it all started. Listen, you may not be able to give somebody a job or take care of somebody for the last four years of their life, but you can write somebody a note. You can give somebody some money, pay for their lunch. You can be part of a short group, say, hey, listen, I may not like the title. I may not have the, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna encourage other people. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm going to hear what they have to say. There's always some seed that you possess in your life. If you're willing to release it, God will never, ever, ever let it go unnoticed. If you ever release a seed for God and it goes unnoticed, it'll be the first time since the Garden of Eden that God ever 
allowed that to happen. And it won't happen. In the New Testament, there was a Roman army captain named Cornelius. In Acts 10 verse 2, it says, Cornelius worshiped God. We got that down. He prayed often. We got that. And he always helped people in need. Long story short, an angel appeared to him. And he was the first person in the universe that was not Jewish to receive salvation after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First one. It was such a, it's, this is a better honor than winning the lottery. Great honor. Why did God choose Cornelius? Verse 4 says, the angel told him, your prayers and generous gifts to the poor have come up as a reminder or a memorial or a text or an email before God. Imagine you're in your time of need, you're struggling, you're depressed, you don't know what to do, what decisions to make, and you want to guarantee that God of the universe, with everything going on in this universe, the sun staying in place, the people that are sick, everything going on, you want to make sure that God remembers you. You can pray, you can worship, but if you go and help somebody in need, that's what made the memorial come up before God. Man, we got to learn to let go of what's in our hand. Do you know that if you will let go of what's in your hands, that God will let go of what's in his hands? And what's in his hands is a whole lot bigger and better than whatever you think you have in your hands. What I love about everything I'm teaching you today is this. God has already supplied our needs through our seeds. Already supplied it. You possess what you need to get you to the next level, to get that dream, whatever. You know, um, in the Old Testament, when God called Moses to deliver two million people from slavery, it's so interesting to me because Moses didn't seem like the right person. I mean, he had committed murder. He, he, he didn't have any money in the bank. He didn't have an education. Like he, he didn't have, you know, no college degree. There wasn't even uh, how to lead two million people out of slavery for dummies book. There was nothing for him to research, nothing for him to do. But when he met with God, God said something very interesting to Moses. In Exodus 4.2, he said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? What do you mean, what do I have in my hand? It's all I have. <laughs> I don't have a bank account. I have no friends cheering me on. I don't know how to do something. All I have is a stick. It's not a special stick. It's not made of gold. There's no diamonds on it. It wasn't handed, me to, handed to me from some famous king. It's an ordinary walking stick, God. It's all I have. You know what God told him to do with it? Release it. Throw it on the ground. Let it go. God, what's this going to do? Let it go and I'll show you. He let it go. The thing turned into a snake. Here's what God was saying. Release what's in your hands. And if it needs to be a microphone to speak to two million people, I'll turn it into a microphone to speak to two million people. What do you, all I have is a slingshot. Use it for me. I'll turn it into a position for a king. All, all I have is the jawbone of a donkey. Use it. You give it to me, I'll turn it into someone that can slay a thousand Philistines in their life. Listen, whatever you have in your hand, just release it. God was saying, if you'll give me what you have, I'll become... What you need? What seed do you have in your hand? And what's stopping you from releasing it to God?
Um, I was thinking about this, and whenever I, I, I work on sermons, I always spend two or three hours of my 20 hours of studying on if I was an agnostic. Like, I'm studying as if I don't believe in God. I spend about two hours doing that so that I always answer every question. And one of the questions I had when I was in that frame of mind for a minute, I thought, you know, God, you say you reap what you sow. Well, what if I were to die tomorrow? You're telling me all this reaping and sowing, all through the Bible, if I, I've, I've done this for people, and what if I die tomorrow? God said, John Paul, if you move to North Carolina, my harvest will follow you. If you move to New York, my harvest will follow you. And if you move to heaven, the harvest will still follow you. Do you know how important this sermon series is? It's so important. Every seed that you sow on earth for the kingdom of God will affect you for all of eternity. All of eternity. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it's our constant ambition to please the Lord. We must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive in his pay according to what he did in his bodily life. That word judgment, you see that word judgment in there, the people for the judgment seat? That word judgment comes from a Greek word called krima. It means a decision resulting from an investigation. If you were to look at that word krima and I asked you about other world religions, and they, you know, you'd probably think of the word karma. What goes around comes around. Karma is not a biblical word, but it, does, it was derived out of the sowing and reaping law that God created. Here's the point. When you get to heaven, your first second there, God's going to sit you down and investigate your entire earthly life. And he's not going to investigate the buildings that have your name on them. He's not going to investigate the amount of likes you got on Facebook. Or let me say this way, the amount of people that approved of you. He's not going to investigate how much money was in your bank account when you left earth. He's going to investigate every single seed that you have sown for the kingdom of God while you were on earth. Now, you really want to get kicked in the face? I'm about to kick you in the face. You ready? I'm about to really kick you in the face. You're going to be judged based on how much you gave in relation to how much you got. You're going to be judged based on how much seed you sowed in relation to how much seed God gave you. That hurts so bad. The widow woman in the Bible that gave her might, that penny, all she had was a penny. She's going to have a mansion like Billy Graham. She gave it all. God's going to judge you how much time you spent building his kingdom in relation to how much time you got on earth. He's going to judge you based on how much encouragement you gave in relation to how much seeds of words and, and he put people in your path. Put this one in your path, put this path, this one. And you didn't encourage them. You shot him down. He's going to jump. Man, this is, woo! I bet y'all were like, why didn't he end the sermon five minutes ago? We could have left. It would have been a great day. We went out to hear this. Our eternal destiny, not destination, our eternal destiny is based on what we sowed, not what we reaped. Uh, my, my friend John Ross, Trisha's husband, he's in heaven. The last, you know, six, seven years of his life while he's battling cancer and he's on um, morphine constantly, he was in church every Sunday singing in the choir. Okay, 
His mansion may not be like some of y'all's. We can't be arrogant and think, well, we're all going to have a big house. We're all going to be in the city of heaven. No, there's cities. There's the city. There's cities. There's planets. There's other solar systems. All through the New Testament, he says some people get to be in charge of ten cities. Some people, they, um, Mark and, um, and Jimmy and some of our other musicians, they, they work until like 2.30 in the morning on Saturday night, get home at 3.30 and come to church at 8.30 for practice. And, and they do it as a gift. They just, they just serve and Mark was saying the other day about some of the musicians out in Myrtle Beach that don't serve God. And Mark was like, yep, when we get to heaven, I'm going to go look at this one and say, clean up aisle nine for you. And <laughs> my bathroom's dirty. Can you go take care of that right now? Listen, eternal rewards means there's no revisions or changes. That means that that day of judgment for you, you can't, after you get to heaven, you can't say, well, now I'm going to be faithful. Now I'm going to give you my service. Listen, the amount of talent you have in relation to how much of that talent you gave to God, you're going to be judged by. You say, well, I can only sing a little bit, sing in the choir. Well, I just don't know. Okay, if you're able to carry a tune, there's a place for you to serve the kingdom of God. If you're able to encourage people, there's a place for you. If you're able to give financially, it's all in relation to how much seed you got. This is just wisdom. We should just already know, know this. It's, it's just plain wisdom. Revelation 2.23, and I'm done. Am I at 30 minutes yet? I have one more minute left. Okay, real quick, Revelation 23. Okay, so um, hey, let me say this too before I read this scripture. For some of y'all, and I love all of y'all so much, some of y'all, I pray that you don't die anytime soon because your heaven's not going to be what you thought. Now, you, your destination will be heaven because you're a believer. You have a relationship with Jesus. But your destiny, some of y'all need to get to working. I mean, you really do. You make life about you. You're walking around with the glass and you think everything's about you and you want everybody else to serve you. Why doesn't the church do this for me? Why doesn't this person do it? What am I doing? And God's saying, what are you doing holding the cup? Grab the pitcher and I'll keep it full. And you can pour into your family and you can pour into this one. But if you walk around with a pitcher, God will never forget you. Revelation 2.23 says, I will reward each of you, reward each of you according to... Nope, Revelation 2.23 was the next one up there. There you go. I'll reward each of you according to what you've done. To what you've done. Let me tell this last story and I'll let you go. I'm going to have five wonderful children, and they've all made me very proud. Every one of them are phenomenal. Um, they've all made good grades in school. Um, they've all served in church. <clears throat> Just great kids. There's one thing I've always instilled in them, and they'll tell you this. I say it until they ask me to stop, and that is don't ever bully and don't ever let someone bully you. I always pour that in. I mean, so much so till they're like, Dad, stop talking about it. Stop asking us. My, my second child, Zach, my first child, Logan, he's always very popular. Never had to wear that. So popular. Just a personality that you're attracted to. Zach, my second son, he's always been very tall. You got that from me. He's, he's, he's very strong and athletic. He's a good-looking kid. Very, I mean, just, just people drawn to him as well. I never had to worry about him being bullied. But my middle son, Eli, he's always been much shorter than everybody else. Um, he's starting to grow now, but whenever he was in elementary school, he was literally a foot and a half shorter than the next shortest kid in the whole school. I mean, he's just... All elementary school, it was like he was so much shorter. It was just, you'd see him lined up for something. It was this, 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 and then he'd go down like that, and then go back away. And then when he was really little, we found out he needed glasses. So he's been wearing glasses. He was real little. 
As a parent, you can imagine my concern. Because some kids, they're not you know, raised right or they don't have enough confidence. They're insecure, so they bully other kids and things like that. And so every day I'd ask Eli, you know, anyone making fun of you? Anyone hurting your feelings? You know, tell daddy I'll always take care of it. I'll go bully the crap out of that kid. You just let me know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, and so um, I'll pay another kid to do it. And so, um, and so, you know, my kids have done a lot of things to make me proud. But something happened one day in Eli's life that I'll never forget. He was on the playground one day at school, and there was a new kid that was there. And the new kid was sitting all by himself, no friends, literally just sitting down during recess time. So Eli stops what he's doing with all these kids, and he walks over to this other kid, and he says, um, hey, my name's Eli. What's your name? He says, do you want to be my friend and come and play with me and hang out? It was such a special moment, and the kid was so excited to have a friend. One of the teachers saw the whole thing take place, and they gave Eli an award in front of the whole school for doing that. He could have made straight D's his whole life, and that one thing would make this father proud. In the same way, when you get to heaven, you can make straight A's, you can have a big house, you can succeed at business, you can have a lot of people like you, but the way you treat people is going to determine what kind of rewards you get in front of everybody in heaven. It's not going to be by yourself. He'll reward each one of you. It's not as a group. All of y'all did good. He's going to call you by name and say, my kingdom on earth is better because I put you in there. You walked around with that picture in your hand. Man, when Eli gave me that award, I thought, you're the underdog. People should be coming and encouraging you. Not Eli. He didn't care what it looked like. Maybe people made fun of him. He didn't care. He walked over to him. You want to be my friend? You want to come hang out with me? That's the kind of heart we should have. And I know when you leave here, you're going to think, that was a good sermon, you know, and we come to church next Sunday and keep going. I want every one of you to leave here just a little bit less selfish than when you came in. I'm not asking you to be the most selfless person on planet Earth. I'm just asking you, just carry the picture wherever you go. And here's why. The future always 